This evening we've got the final part of our current teaching series, Heroes of Faith, and Victoria Omatoso, a member of our congregation, is going to be speaking to us on Joseph, so I'm just going to do a reading before we invite Victoria up. Uh, if you want to follow along in your own Bible, this is uh, Genesis 39, or it will come up on the screens behind me as well. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt me as well. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted the care, uh, to his care everything he owned. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after he... <laughs> So I don't know what was going on with my pronunciation there. Um, now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife uh, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in, his, in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in there, in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done in there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Please welcome Victoria, who's going to bring our message to us this evening. Thank you, Josh. Good evening, church. Yeah, great. Um, it's so wonderful uh, to be with you this evening. Um, and yeah, like Josh said, I'm a member here. 
at St Nick's and I've been here for about a year and it's been so wonderful just to um, be stuck into community and family and we are very much truly best. Um, so today we are concluding our series of Heroes of Faith. If you've been with us for uh, the summer, we've been looking at Old Testament characters and their great journeys of faith and how God has been faithful. And um, I will confess that when I was first asked to speak about Joseph, I was a little bit like excited because I had a bit of an affinity with him, not only because my mother literally calls me Josephina uh, because of the many dreams uh, that I have, which may or may not involve uh, my family members bowing down to me or asserting my firstborn status. Uh, sorry, boys. Um, <laughs> but um, actually thinking about how his life and his character continuously challenges me and shows me what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. And so thinking about Joseph as a hero of faith, of course, my first kind of initial reaction was Hebrews 11. Um, and in Hebrews 11, what we get is a almost hall of fame of great men and women of God who faced so many trials and persecutions and tribulations, yet they were steadfast in their faith. And whilst I was kind of preparing for this, actually, I was more drawn to almost in the chapter that comes right after Hebrews 11, which is Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, so saying, after all this that has come behind us, after hearing all these stories, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Aren't we blessed, children of God? Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm blessed. Say it, say it. I am blessed. Say it with conviction. I am blessed. Yeah, thank you. I like that chest pump. Thank you. <laughs> but we are so truly blessed because we, we know the end of the stories. We have these great examples of faith. We have these great examples and witnesses that God is faithful and God has remained faithful throughout generations. And it's actually interesting that when you read the rest of Hebrews 12, what we get is actually a chapter about discipline and how God disciplines his children for their own benefit, for our own benefit, and the importance of fixing our eyes on Jesus in the midst of this. And so when we're looking now at the life of Joseph, we see that despite all the trials and all the tribulations and challenges that he faced, God was using every circumstance to discipline Joseph and set him up from where he was going. There are kind of three landmarks in Joseph's life that I like to kind of pinpoint, which is the pit, the prison, and finally the palace. And each part of these um, kind of 
realms of Joseph's life, what we see is that God is continuously faithful. And in those situations, Joseph continues to honor God. So a quick background. So Joseph is the great-grandson of the great patriarch Abraham, who is the, he's also the grandson of Isaac, and he's the 11th son of Jacob and Rachel. Now, if you read a few chapters before, I won't go too much into it, but um, Jacob essentially um, marries Rachel, who's the wife that he truly loves after he's kind of been duped by his uncle and he's married Rachel's sister. Um, but Rachel is the true love of his life. Um, and yet, God closes Rachel's room. And eventually, after some years, God is merciful and he opens her room and Joseph is the first son born to that marriage. So Joseph is really loved. <laughs> and whether it may be to Jacob's detriment and whether it was the wisest thing for him to do to show extreme favoritism to this son, um, he gives Joseph a coat. Um, some of you may be familiar with the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Yeah, uh, Joseph and Technicolor Dream Coat. So gives Joseph's amazing coat of many colors and what that signified especially to the rest of the brothers was in those days obviously a coat was something that was very expensive anyway and the fact that you had different colors on it different expensive dyes so it was showing that Joseph was a social status it was showing that Joseph was a child of nobility and of course this upset the brothers if not even more so Joseph now starts having dreams of his brothers bowing down to him. It's not going to make you the favorite in the family, that's for sure. So in all this, what happens is that one day they plot to get rid of Joseph. They're like, right, they've had enough. He needs to get rid of. So one day, um, Jacob sends Joseph out and says, oh, go get your brothers. They were in the field doing some shepherding. And they see him coming. And the brothers right, are like, right, what should we do? Some of them had some sinister plans, let's kill him. Um, some of them, Reuben, who is actually the eldest, he said, let's put him in a pit. But he in, intended to come back for Joseph later. But it just so happens, as they were all kind of plotting away, they were merchants going to Egypt. So they decide, let's sell Joseph as a slave to these merchants, and that will get rid of him for good. And whereas they won't have the guilt that they've killed him or something else. So they sell Joseph to these merchants traveling to Egypt. And this is where we meet Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. So Joseph from the pit has now been sold into slavery to Egypt. From there, he's then sold to a man called Potiphar. So Potiphar was kind of the second in command after Pharaoh um, and Potiphar was second in command of Egypt and kind of the governor of all of that. So this is where we meet Joseph. He is in Potiphar's house. And it's really important to understand that in this chapter, he's already faced quite a lot of kind of misfortune, as we might think of it as. But three times, the Bible mentions, but the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. That no matter the situation that Joseph had found himself in, that God was still with him. And that was shown in the success that followed. The Lord was with Joseph. And that success was something that even Potiphar, 
who was not a believer in God, by the way, noticed. And that's something that's evident, that when we, as people who bear his name, there is a mark that is upon us that is evidence in our lives. People will notice that there is something about you that is different. Acts chapter 4, when the apostles Peter and John have been apprehended by the Jewish leaders for preaching the gospel, they said unto themselves when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. For those who continue to maintain their faith despite trials and tribulations, there is a mark that is set upon us. And Potiphar recognizes this so much so that he even promotes Joseph to be in charge of all of his household. And during these periods, while Joseph is there serving and being front, there's a few things about Joseph's character that I think we can really learn from tonight. Number one was his diligence. Joseph did not take anything for granted. It would be so easy for him to, at this point, he could cut corners, you know, slack off, steal a bit here and there, but he kept a standard of diligence. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 says, and whatever you do, whether in work or deed, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. He was diligent no matter where he was. Diligent in things that could otherwise, he could have been easily resentful. He could have been easily spiteful. But his first reaction was that he changed his perspective. He did everything as if he was doing it unto God. And diligence is so important because it's actually such a reflection of God's character in us. It's funny as well how when things are all of a sudden going quite well for Joseph, a dark cloud comes in the form of Potiphar's wife. And here we see again two aspects of his character, which the two go hand in hand. Integrity and the fear of God. You see what he says in um, chapter 39, Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. He says, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Sin against God. He didn't say, how can I do such a wicked thing and, and sin against you or sin against myself or sin against Potiphar, my master. Sin against God. The fear of God is not this kind of terrifying feeling that I'm going to get in trouble or I shouldn't do anything wrong because I'm going to be you know, struck by lightning. That's not what the fear of God is. The fear of God is a conscious reverence of who God is, of his power, and that we, in, in, um, in relation to that, live in humility in accordance to that. So it's not a kind of child-parent kind of fear, no. It's a reverence. It's an active, conscious reverence. With that comes integrity, because we are humbly honoring God, not because of ourselves, but because we reverence who he is. 
And so Joseph demonstrates the fear of God, even when he's wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife. He humbly accepts his lot, which the next part is prison. And by this point, I even wouldn't blame Joseph if he wanted to start complaining and having a bit of a meltdown. Because honestly, from the prison to Potiphar's house to being wrongly accused to now being in, in, in prison... But the amazing thing is that even through all this, Joseph is still consistent in his trust in God. So, you know, his consistency in that God is still faithful to him despite his troubles. So look, I'm going to be honest, I don't know which form of kind of comfortable Christianity that you may or may not have been sold, but the Bible I read, every single person of faith, even the ones that we've covered in the last couple of weeks, faced some kind of trial, some kind of challenge, some kind of persecution, some kind of tribulation. And it was in those moments through which that God continued to show himself faithful. But the thing about trials is that they test our faith. They test our character. The book of Psalms 105, the psalmist tells this wonderful, marvelous story of Israel's great history from generation to generation. And he gets to Joseph, and this is what he says. He says, he called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The other translations that said the Lord tested Joseph's character or refined him. Trials are used to refine us. The psalmist says in Psalm 119 verse 71, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your decrees. Throughout pages of scripture, God uses the refining process to test and strengthen our faith. Isaiah 48, see, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Job 23 verse 10 says, but he knows the way that I goeth. And when I have been tested, I shall come forth as gold. James 1, James is speaking to persecuted believers in the early church. And he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The thing about persevering is that it requires us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember Hebrews 12. Joseph had sustained a trust in God, that God is entirely in control, that his God's sovereignty is demonstrated it from the pit to the prison to eventually the palace. The verse says that here, but while, but while Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him his kindness. That word kindness, also known as loving kindness, unfailing love. The Hebrew for that is chesed. And it's more than just an emotional feeling. It's a covenant that God makes with his children. It's a covenant of loyalty, of love. 
in the book, um, which I definitely would recommend you to read. It's called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. The author describes covenant as a signified, a deep relationship that existed between all parties to the covenant, almost like a marriage. That's just kind of our very, very minute human way of understanding this deep intimacy that God has with his children. David, the great psalmist, says when King Saul sends soldiers to come to kill him, he says, I will keep watch for you, O Lord, my strength, because you, O Lord, are my fortress. My God of loving devotion will come to meet me. My God of loving kindness, unfailing love of said will come to meet me. God is a God of devotion to his children. He's a God of unfailing love. There's so many loves in our lives that can fail. So many loves that we've put our hearts in. Relationships, friendships, work relationships. So many that continue to fail because they are human. But the chesed of God, is a, it's a chesed that is unfailing, that is steadfast, that is continuous. And it's so easy for Joseph now to start wallowing in his losses. But he puts his hope in this chesed, trusting that God is in control. And that this prison period was a testing period, a pressure point. We all have pressure points in our lives. And it's the point where we're most vulnerable because that's when Satan will come and bring his lies and bring things that are not true about us. It's so easy for us to begin to count our losses, to count, oh, this could have been, oh, I could have become this, when we don't trust in God's continuous faithful plan. When we fix our eyes on our problems, we sin against God. We're treating God with contempt because what we're saying to him is that I don't think, God, you are big enough for this. Self-sufficiency, it's the oldest sin in the book. We say to God, it's all right, God, I've got this. Psalm 34, one of my favorite psalms, it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Magnify who? Lord, magnify your fear, magnify your problems, magnify your anxieties, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Whatever prison you might find yourself, whatever pit or prison you might find yourself in, whether that be a physical health prison, financial prison, a prison of marriage, prison of broken relationships, magnify the name of the Lord rather than magnifying your problems. In prison, Joseph was patient enough to persevere to where God was taking him to. But the thing is, he spent two whole years in the prison before he even got to the palace. It was not in vain. God was testing him and refining him. God is a God of purpose. He's a purpose-driven God. He doesn't just do things like we do because we feel like it or he just wants to have a laugh. <laughs> God is not emotional. He is purposeful. 
Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's a God of purpose and deals with us in accordance to that. The purpose of Joseph in Egypt, we see later on, was to save the future nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 45, Joseph is at the palace. He's been reunited after an emotional reunion with his brothers. And he says this, he says, God sent me before you to preserve you as a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God who has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. God is a master planner. He takes bits and pieces of the puzzle and somehow uses it for his glory. Um, I remember when I, a couple of years ago, I just finished my master's degree in London and I had fought tooth and nail with my supervisors to make sure that I stayed in London. Um, I did a finished my a theology degree and I was looking to do a PhD. Um, and my supervisor was saying, you know, we, we, we're trying to accommodate you, but it really isn't. But how about Exeter? And I was like, where's that? <laughs> and um, he was a bit like, oh, you know, it's a really lovely place down by the southwest. And in my mind, I'm just thinking the southwest is where I always see the BBC weather warnings. And I used to be like, these poor souls <laughs> in the southwest when I was like living all the way in Kent somewhere. Um, and now I'm like, oh, wait, I'm actually going to be one of these poor souls um, <laughs> that get these weather warnings. But every door was shut in my face. I would go here, be like, can I try here? No. Go here, no. And I eventually, despite my, not against my will, but eventually got to Exeter and did not even know that the whole plan that God was taking us through. John and I were the first people to get to Exeter. We got to Exeter. I was there doing my PhD, not knowing at that point during COVID, John wanted to start studying music. The closest music school that was of any kind of good repute was in Bristol. Um, started doing that online. Victor was all the way in South Africa. He applied as well online. All the way we came to Bristol about a year later, not even knowing that God was setting us up, that Exeter wasn't even the end game, that it was just a pathway, a stepping stone to where God really wanted us to be. And even as a family, we'd always had this passion um, to to um, kind of serve in, in prison ministry. And it's something that we've been praying about, praying about, but only when we got to Bristol, actually through the church, had the opportunity to kind of fulfill that um, kind of vision and passion we've had for prison ministry and leading worship in prison. And it's just so amazing to see that every, all those doors that were shut, me not knowing and not seeing the bigger picture, that actually God was setting us up for something much more than what we could have ever imagined. And it's so amazing that even in the life of Joseph, what we see is that if not all those trials, God was setting them up for pres to preserve their lives. A great famine had been taken. And if not those experiences that Joseph had, managing Potiphar's house, managing the prison, God was setting them up to manage nations. 
God doesn't destroy experiences. He builds on them. Every piece of the puzzle, each situation was refining. Each situation was strengthening and perfecting his faith. From the pit to the prison to eventually the palace, Joseph's life continuously gives us steadfast faith in the midst of our challenging times. God has said and sovereignty, even in the current messiness and mystery of our lives, he continues to show his mercy. I want to read Hebrews 12, but I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence, the race that is set before us. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. The first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it all in comparison to your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can I invite you to stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you for the gift of your love, of your chesed, that you bestow upon us, your children. Lord, we know that our lives can be so full of disappointment. So much despair, so much pain. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you. Your word says, but you were with Joseph. You are the same God yesterday, today and forever. It's more than just a story. You are a living, active, purposeful God, Lord. And we thank you that we can put our faith and hope in you. Help us, Lord, to, to steer clear of distractions when the enemy comes with these lies, to stand on the truth of your word. You promise, Lord, that you will be with us always even until the end of time. In Jesus' name, amen.